pass from Havili was magic. The shift on for Crotty. Boom, far down you go, Quaggett Smith. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that. Yes, boy. Sit back, relax, put your belt on, enjoy the show. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 32 of the Draft Rugby Podcast, <laughs> where we discuss fantasy super rugby, the game they play online in heaven. You can check out the platform at draftrugby.com and get after us on the socials at Draft Rugby. I am your host, Kagi, and I am joined by both Harry and Nelson again on Zoom. Fellas, welcome. Um, before I ask how your weekends were, um, I know you had an extra week off um, without your, your fantasy teams playing uh, as you went in the finals, um, but uh, I didn't have my team playing this week either. And uh, it was weird, you know, it was really nice, a bit of a relief to watch some rugby um, without just worrying about my players. But um, how did you guys enjoy the game and how are your weekends? The game was awesome. Um, I don't share the same enjoyment of not having my fantasy team playing. I think that's the most fun part of all of it. But uh, great weekend. Watched the game with my older brother, Lachlan, who doesn't watch a lot of footy. And anyone that knows me knows I love talking. So getting to watch a game of football where I can just fill information in every quiet space of time is just like my dream. And and true, he can't disagree with you as well he doesn't know anything so you just seem like you know what you're talking about yeah i definitely don't know that he wanted to hear everything i had to say but i showed him so much info i think that was a given i think that was a given but uh, yeah no nelson was gonna say what about you mate you um how did the mighty dolphins go you played some footy on the weekend some uh was it some finals footy almost semi-finals semi-finals uh yeah (laughs) um harry was there with my oldest brother to come watch so uh, that was, the Reds game was the second best game they saw on the weekend. But look, I think we were we we were quite lucky. I think the well, I wouldn't say lucky. We we ground out the win, but I don't think we were, you know, the the better of the two teams for a good chunk of that game. I watched the the replay, and I think there was just far too many errors. And I'm I'm just going to point to our backs to be Why honest. That much like your fantasy team throughout the year? No, mate. I. Uh, I think uh, it was it was all the backs' fault. I think the only thing I had going for my fantasy team was my backs. So, okay, all right. Yeah. I got to say, my favourite thing about the park footy on the weekend was doing the physio for Nelson's team. Uh, there was three head knocks through the game, and you don't get to take them off for a ten minute assessment. There, you know, I was the the uh, <clears throat> only person with a really health trained background in the field for both sides. So, you know, you go over and you ask your quick concussion questions, you know, like what half is it, who's winning, that kind of stuff. And I go up to one of Nelson's props and goes, all right, mate, can you tell me what the score is? He just looks at me and laughs. He goes, the score? Like he never has any idea what the score has ever been in any game. I was like, what do you, now what do I do? <laughs> mate, he, uh, I think you're talking about Mika, mate. He can't count in fives and sevens. That, that is far too complicated for him. Very good. It sounds like you did an adequate job, Harry. Uh, just let's hope you don't get sued. Oh, I broke a guy's nose and Harry let him back on the field. So that was pretty poor by Harry, I think. Well, he, no, actually, it was smart by Harry because he wanted to let the guy have his revenge on you. You know what I mean? It was Harry. <laughs> didn't he didn't get it. Very good. All right. And um, Harry, what about you, mate? Um, we, we saw some little glimpses on social media that um, looked like you were flying off to uh, buy a private <laughs> island or whatnot on your seaplane, mate. How was, um, how was that? Yeah, second anniversary with with Erica, still stuck with me. So we got a seaplane out to one of the really nice restaurants in Sydney. It was pretty awesome, actually. So that was the third third best thing you uh, did on on the weekend, wasn't it? You tell Erica. I have a note here that... um, That's it. I I have a note here that uh, Harry was going to say something about an anniversary and that he... um, No, in fact, he's actually buying a private island just so everyone's aware. But... um, no, very good. All right, well, let's get stuck into the pod tonight. Um, on our menu for entree, we'll, we will be reviewing the Super Rugby AU semi-final between <clears throat> the Rebels and the Reds. For main course, a look at the upcoming Super Rugby AU final between the Brumbies and the Reds in Canberra. Very professional, my phone notifications going off. Um, and for dessert, we're going to have a look at the Wallaby squad that was announced on Saturday or Sunday, I'm not sure. I think Sunday. Um, we talked a little bit about it last week, but um, now the squad's here and certainly some um, interesting selections. So stay tuned for that. Um, but yes, let's get into it. Uh, the entree, the Reds and the Rebels, the qualifying final. Who would like <clears> to <throat> kick us off with this one? 
Look, I'll start off with the stuff I know about this one. I was preoccupied for most of the weekend. So the qualifying final, uh, we already had the Brumbies advance through to the grand final this weekend. The Reds took it to the Rebels 25 to 13. That was three tries to one. I think it went the way that we all expected that to go. But the, the big concern out of this one was there are a lot of injuries. We're not sure on the severity of a lot of those so far. Um, Jordan Batea, he had a concussion. Chris Firewise saw Tia had a groin injury. Dane Halepetti had an, a groin. Ta- Matt Tamua had a groin Jordan Ulisi, I think he had an AC shoulder joint injury. And Andrew Kellaway also had a shoulder injury. I don't think we have any updates on any of those, Harry. No, we do. Jordan Bataille is expected to play. Chris F. Sotero is definitely in doubt. And all the Rebels guys are going... Oh, spoilers. Spoilers. And uh, all the Rebels guys are going for scans. I think they're most concerned about Matt Tamua's injury. I think they said that that could be quite severe. So... Uh, absolutely no good for the Wallabies or for the, for uh, Matty Tamura as well. I suppose your groin can get sore when you carry your whole team, right? It's your back. Well, generally, the, uh, the your back. I don't know what you're people on your back, mate, or your shoulders, but I don't know, Nels, um, something different. You, you both talking at the same time, so I'm not too sure what happened. I think we had the same idea, mate. It was that you're talking rubbish, but please continue. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll you take over on. from here, Harry. Yeah, I'll kick onto the game. So, um, I was, I was pretty proud and, and I, I mentioned that I was watching with Lachlan, my older brother, and I uh, gave him a few pre-game <laughs> predictions. And my two, my two big predictions were Marika Corabetti, he's a winger that always picks and goes and scores from scrum half. And uh, lo and behold, just before half time, that's exactly what he did. So I was claiming that like I knew exactly what was going on in this game uh, to take a step backwards I think uh, both teams were playing with a lot of attacking enterprise, especially early on. And Jordan Pattaya just read one of these long passes, long flat passes from Matty Tamua and <clears throat> ran, I think it was about 40 metres in, canted in and, and scored to open the scoring as well. So that took us to 10 all at half time. Um, there was a few injuries to the Reds in the first half. We mentioned those as well. So Hunter Paisami came on. And just shredded up like he'd never had any injuries. Didn't look like he uh, missed a beat at all. I was really, really impressed with how good he was. Um, Marika Corabetti as well. I talked about his fantastic try. And then uh, I think the injuries kind of switched. All the Rebels injuries were in that second half. And it kind of really ruined the shape that they were trying to play with the wit um, that they put out there in the first half. And the Reds kind of got on top a little bit more as the game went on. Um, and then I think my second prediction for the game came true. 74th minute, Taniela Tupo always makes line breaks. He's the most dynamic prop in the world. <clears throat> there he is off an inside ball, breaking through the line and throwing a right-to-left long ball to Dungunu to beat the fullback and put the game out of reach for the Brumby, for the Rebels. Sorry. So... Uh, again, I was up and up and about because number one, I wanted the Reds to win. I've really been in, enjoying them playing this year, but also just because it made me look like a genius. So thank you, Taniela Tupo. Does it count if like every week I pre- I say I predict that Tupo is going to have a big game? Uh, I don't know if it counts. To, to be honest, I think it only counts because Harry's talking about talking to someone who doesn't watch every week because he said nothing special. He's like basically said there will be some form of points scored in this game. He basically said the same thing. There's nothing too exciting about what he said, but yeah, as long as it makes him feel good. It's pretty similar to like back in the day, someone's saying uh, Israel Folau will score a try this game. You know what I mean? Like the chances were very, very high. Um, he'll, yeah, he'll score off a counter-attack from a high ball. He'll jump up, <laughs> yeah. get over someone, then run away and score. Anyway, the uh, the end score was 25-13 with that Taniela Tupo try. The uh, I think the Rebels kind of shot themselves in the foot. They I think they said last time they played, they got held up over the line something like five times. And in this one, they blew a few chances to make it a bit of a tighter contest as well. There was the forward pass from Bill Meek <clears> where uh, it was it was clearly forward, but I don't think there was too much pressure on him. He just kind of pushed the pass a little bit too hard. There was Issy Nasarani charging down a kick. And 
it, it's a bit tough to say it was a blown try, but the ball was over the line. All he had to do was dive in it and show a bit of urgency, but he tried to be patient and he just got unlucky with the bounce. And then you had That's Andrew cool. Callaway as well. Matty Tamur put a chip kick through and he stepped out as he put it down. And it was a very good crossfield kick, um, but uh, it wasn't the best footwork for Callaway. You know, it was obviously a tight one, but you kind of just hope that your quality wingers can finish those. So disappointing for them letting a few opportunities go. And it de- was definitely the uh, the difference in this game as well. Nazarani would have another, I don't know, three or four tries this season if he... Um... He's been over the line another couple of times. I think two two or three of them have been um, on the driving mall. Just hasn't been able to get it down. And and then this kick, I think, yeah, you're right. It's a bit bit harsh probably to say that um, he stuffed it up. He he was waiting for the bounce. Uh, probably made the right decision, but just got screwed over by that. So that was a bit unfortunate. But um, no, I think, uh, yeah, all signs from this game. Um, I mean, this is exactly what we said was going to happen, didn't we? Um, the Reds, they now know how to keep, to put their foot down on the on the gas and just keep it on the whole game, really. Um, play the full 80. So, about let's get to the stats. Stats pretty even. Um, 50-50. Uh, territory was 45-55 to 55 to the Rebels. So, even with, uh, with less ball in hand, um, they were able to make much better use of it. Um, the... Oh, this stats are this way around. All right. Well, the Rebels actually had more metres. I'm surprised by that. 631 to 566. They had one more tackle bus, 25 to 24. But line breaks the Reds, 14 to 9. Um, tackle percentages, both pretty, not, not great, about 77, 76% respectively. And uh, the penalties, 6 to 9. So the Reds not giving away as many as they were at the start of the season. It's really Nils, do you want to low, take us through the fantasy stats? Really low tackle percentage. I think it was probably indicative of the way that both teams tried to play the game, very up-tempo and very, very wide. So, I mean, it looks pretty poor when you look at those numbers. But watching the game, I didn't think to myself, God, they're missing a lot of tackles. Like, it didn't definitely didn't seem that way through the game. The, uh, the fantasy man of the match was a guy who's gone from strength to strength in recent weeks. Filippo Dungunu, 79 points. He scored a try, a try assist. He had 17 runs for 117 metres, five tackle busts, three line breaks, and he won four turnovers himself. That's better than Hooper, I think, all season. For Reds, Taniela Tupo scored 61 points, and Lucan Salakai Lotto scored 48 points. For the Rebels, Marika Korobidi scored 64. Dane Halepedi, before his injury, had 44, and Kellaway had 42 in his return back to the starting side. I think we need to... I, need, I want to look up what um, Lucan Salakai Lotto's uh, average is, if anyone has it on... Um on hand because he's he's been the bloody Brody Vitalik of uh, of lock fantasy this in Super Rugby AU hasn't he's been unreal. But, um, if you uh, just keep buying some time, mate, we can we can make this happen. Well, 40, uh, I reckon he's. I, I, I was going to say in the forties. So equal top with Fergus Lee Warner. Sam Sam Wylock was third with thirty five. Wowzers! There you go. All right, fantastic. Well, that was that game. Very exciting and certainly a bit of foreshadowing in that. Um, I think uh, Harry alluded, accidentally uh, said you know, the, the Reds uh, smashing the Brumbies or something at some point through that game. So I think he was kind of just almost jumping the gun a little bit, but um, foreshadowing what's to come. So very good. Uh, all right, so the, the main course then, Brumbies and the Reds. Now, I think pretty safe to say that we're all going to back the Reds on this one. We'll get to how much kind of as we wrap up our preview. But um, yeah, I think, look, I'll start us off with, we really, last week we spoke a little bit about um, the pre- last time, or two weeks ago, the last time the uh, Brumbies, the first time the Brumbies and Reds played. Uh, and it was in round five when the Brumbies won 22 to 20. Uh, and they just kind of were that composed Brumbies team we're used to seeing. Uh, and the Reds were perhaps, I know it's a bit rich to say that in the, in a season of 10 games, they've matured a lot, but um Certainly a different side. They were giving away a lot more penalties. They weren't able to just, um, I guess, weren't able to just keep keep in it for long for the whole game. So kind of faded off towards the end and weren't able to, yeah, weren't mature enough just to have that level of composure. Whereas the Brumbies, they were, they were behind on all the attacking stats, but they scored a few uh, driving over more tries, 
just kicked some goals, kept themselves in it and um, managed to snatch that one away from the Reds. So that was round five. Uh, and then they played again in, in round 10. Um, Harry, do you want to talk about that? Uh, yeah, round 10 was was the real yeah. dominant one a couple of weeks ago, right? 26 to 7, and it was just all the Reds. The Brums really never got a look in. It was three tries to one, uh, even though the Reds had less ball as well, 47% possession, 44 territory. Um, the Reds didn't... The Brumbies just didn't really look like they were up <clears> for the fight, whether they were just holding a whole lot back and just using this as an extended preparation for the final wouldn't surprise me. But uh, they definitely looked off the pace and the Reds' defence was kind of putting them on the back foot all day. Um, the one thing I would say as well, you know, you mentioned the change in the Reds' maturity through the season... Personally, it really surprised me to see that the Brumbies looked a bit off the pace coming back from COVID when they looked so good beforehand. And I don't think they've ever quite got back to the level they were before the break, whereas the Reds kind of built into the first iteration of Super Rugby this year and did the same in this competition. Uh, The Brumbies have been... They just had something missing. I don't know what it is. They've still been obviously doing well enough to be the best performed team in Super Rugby AU so far, but uh, they're far from their top, top performance. I think that's a great point in terms of um, the Reds definitely came back the fittest from um, the COVID break because uh, can you imagine being a player and having to come back and face Brad Thorne? Um, that's that's why they all came back in the best shape. That's for sure. They, they were scared. They were scared for sure. Absolutely. No, yeah. they, I, I feel very similar about the, the Brumbies there. They've just been something just, I, I don't know what it is either. There's, I mean, they've, they've been relatively composed. They've still been able to close out a lot of, a lot of tight games, but just something's been missing from them in, in recent weeks or, or throughout a lot of this, this season. And to, to me, I think the Reds have been building week in, week out. So, I mean, this is exactly the, the two teams we thought would have been in the finals. And, I mean, my gut tells me it's going to be the Reds. Yeah, we've got a couple Very of good. lineup changes in this one as well. So for the Brumbies, the big question is Noah Alessio. So I think that he was always meant to be in and around a return this week. I think it could have even been last week if they somehow <clears> ended <throat> up in the semi. So uh, there hasn't been an update on him. But uh, I don't know. What, what do you guys think? If he was fully fit and got to train through the, you know, a good chunk of this two-week break, would you start him or would you bring him in off the bench? Or do you think this is just the wrong time to uh, make such a big change to a playmaking position? I'd start him. He was fantastic. <clears throat> Look, it's, it's a pretty tough one. Um, I, I think it's been, what, how many weeks since he's, he's played? Four or five weeks? More more maybe? Yeah, maybe five or six. six. It, it's an awfully long time to bring him straight back into the starting side of a finals. But um, for me, he was streaks above Kunzel, who I think is, is a good player. Um, so I'd be... I think for my team culture and knowing what this year is and that it is slightly different, I'd, I'd probably be starting Kunzel and trying to work off what we have and depending how things are going, bring uh, Lalesio back into the game, depending on how, how things are happening. So it could be as early as the second half, the start of the second half, but I think it's it's tough to throw him straight back in front of um, Kunzel, but it doesn't mean it won't happen. Yeah, I think it's true as well. And I guess, sorry, you go, Harry. I think a lot of it will just depend on how much time he has to train with the starting squad in this two-week lead-up as well, right? Hmm. I was yeah. just going to say, what Lelezio brings is... Um, he does bring injection off the bench. I hadn't really thought about it before, but um, you know, bringing Kunzel back on is kind of... like Bringing Kunzel off the bench is kind of <laughs> like a... You know, we'll, we're, we'll finish this game out, but uh, bringing Lelezio is like when you want to change something or lift the pace... Yeah, trying to lift in that last twenty. So um, that could be certainly a tactic, I guess. Who's the, I think the um, who's the Brumbies' young fullback that was getting a run in the first block of the season though, Mac Hanson. Mac Hanson, because he's yeah. the other option. You know, like if if you don't play Kunzel, you it gives you the opportunity of bringing Mac Hanson off the bench, and he was excellent. That's a good point. Hmm. Yeah, I, I do agree. Look, I, I, it'll be interesting to see the a test of the culture and character of the Brumbies here. You know. Um, Lessie has been out for a little while Kunsul's been doing a job for them um, you, you'd think that they're going to want to back one of their young developing tens um, who's been there week in week out through, throughout this period for them so I think if you're talking about building your team culture you've got to go with the guy that's been playing 
um, and back him. And as I said, depending on how he goes, depends when you bring on your, your bench. Yeah, very good. All right, well, moving along, um, one point that um, Harry brings up every week, and I think we all agree certainly um, <clears throat> has an impact, is the travel. Um, and it's only because of the nature of the travel, you know. Flying from Queensland down is normally an hour and a half or something like that. But um, it's the fact that you've got to get a bus out to a different airport, get on a small charter plane, another long bus. Um, I think Harry last week mentioned, you know, some of them were turning to eight hour trips um, that were traditionally, you know, something like three um, end to end. We're talking almost. Um, so that does just eat up the day um, and does take a little bit out of you. Um so, yeah, with that in mind, the Reds away this year um, against the... Well, away is a funny way of talking about it. Against They lost to the Rebels and the Force, both in uh, the inner west in Sydney. No, no, they, they, didn't, they didn't lose to the Force, sorry. They lost... They, they, they beat the Force 5-57. to 57. Oh, did I just say lost to the Force? God, what am you I... Did. I you what did. Am I <laughs> um, sorry, no, well, they... Okay, they, the, they uh, drew to the Rebels... They lost to the Brumbies and lost to the Tars. Um, they did beat the Force, but yeah, let's just remove home ground advantage with the Force uh, in this in this argument. Um, yeah, so anyway, it hasn't hasn't proven great for them, and certainly the Brumbies definitely have a home ground advantage. <clears throat> Very difficult to beat, beat the Brumbies in Canberra. Um, the, the last loss the Brumbies have had at home was uh, was back in February against the Highlanders, and it was by a point. Um, yeah. And to, so, to extend back even further than that, it was another year back in Feb when they lost their last home game before that as well. So they're, they're few and far between. And I think the fact that the Reds have been held up in Queensland for the best part of the last six weeks or something, with the exception, it was the only time they've left Queensland in the last chunk of time was to play in the Gold Coast against the Force. So they've had a really, really lucky time in that respect. And this has been a bit of a test for them, I think, or this will be a bit of a test for them to be so disrupted. Yeah, and it's been it's been since 2014 since they've actually been in the Brumbies in Canberra. I think if we're honest, this year is very different to, to previous seasons. We're talking about away matches, but I mean, you're not you're not flying over to South Africa. You're not flying over, you know, to to another country. Um, Queensland to Canberra isn't too tricky in comparison to you know what they could be facing um but i mean if we go off this this short sort of history of, of this season it, it is still proving to be a, a sort of a tough ask to to play away from home i don't know i think it's very different to be fair before before we move on like that's two flights i don't think they go direct from uh brisbane to canberra either do they i'm pretty no. sure they have to fly into sydney and then there's only two flights a day for most of these regional flights so <clears throat> they're probably hanging around the airport for a number of hours as well it is a big trip and it's the same day travel you know when you're flying to south africa or new zealand in the uh previous forms of super rugby it's so different because they get in there early and they acclimatize and they get time to spend their day setting themselves up properly you know you can't I don't think we can really appreciate just how disrupted their preparation must be. Yeah, look, I, I don't disagree at all. I think it is, it's still a tough ask. I do think same day travel, although it's disruptive um, to Canberra is even if with two flights is still probably less than flying to Johannesburg, you know, staying away from home or these other sort of things, you know, throwing out your, your preparations for two, three days rather than just that, that day leading into a match. They're completely different. I totally agree, but they went down to, to Canberra and were unlucky to lose by two previously. So, um, I, think I mean, half, sorry. I think we've got the glasses half full and the glasses half empty from the both of you. So that's, uh, yeah. that's good. But yeah. uh, no, I think the one positive for them with uh, looks like, uh, I mean, it's early to call it now, but the weather looks like they're bringing down a bit of, bit of that Queensland weather with them. It's supposed to be sunny in 21, which has got to be what, like a record high for Canberra. Um, on the weekend, so um, that's mid middle of summer. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So that's that's only got to favour the Reds. You'd have to think. Um, don't get me wrong. Obviously, we we know the Brumbies can play some expansive rugby, but um, I mean that's really been the Reds' game, and that's where the Brumbies have been having real difficulties in containing those Reds outside backs. So um, you know the Brumbies would prefer it. You know, be doing the rain dance, prefer it to be pouring, um, <clears throat> just make it an absolute slugfest. So. Yes, um, 
the set piece. Uh, we've we've talked about this a little bit before. The the Brumbies um, have been laid, have laid the seed about the Reds not scrumming straight after their round ten loss. Um, you know, will will the referee pick up uh, where where they left off, kind of with that, or um, or will the Reds just dominate? Uh, Tupo has been unbelievable. Uh, the Red scrum has just been yeah unstoppable, more or less. So. Um, they did get a few calls go against them against the Rebels, right? Like, I didn't think that was one-way traffic. So maybe it does it has just planted that seed of doubt. Mm. We'll have to see. Um, yeah, Nils? Yeah, uh, I think one thing that we, we alluded to a little bit earlier is the outside backs for the Reds. Um, in these two previous matchups through to Rugby AU, the Brumbies just haven't been able to contain those Reds outside backs. Dalgunu or Dungunu and Campbell have just absolutely run amok. Uh, combined stats from both those two matchups, Dungunu's run 205 metres, broken nine tackles, thrown five offloads and made three line breaks, where Jock Campbell has beaten 10 defenders, made six line breaks and set up three tries. That is just absolutely massive from, from two, two players on the field. So I don't know what the Brumbies are going to have to do to, to shut those guys down. Um, Andy Muirhead has probably been better than he had in previous years in terms of his defence. Last time these guys came up against each other, um, it was a few, few certain people that really just did not step up um, in terms of defence. Kagi, uh, do, do you know who those two blokes were? Yes, mate. Uh, you can. You're, you're tugging at my heartstrings. Um, <laughs> Tavita Kurandrani, the choo choo. Uh, we'll. I guess we'll discuss it. We can discuss it now before the the uh, dessert. But um, is it is it over? Is he done? Uh, apart from losing me the fantasy final by forgetting how to place the ball on the ground once over the try line. Um, the choo choo's just been. He's been off. He hasn't been. Uh, he's been. He snuck off on us. He has not been on. Um, and he's, he's just been one two, mate. That's all he's been one two. It's not been two two. Yeah, exactly. Well, it hasn't even been one two. I won't even give him that. You know what I mean? There's been the the steam train has been logless. There's been no uh, no fire, no logs in the oven. Um, enough analogy. Sorry. Uh, anyway, he's he's missed five of thirteen tackles in their last matchup, and um, that's that's no bueno. Uh, he's he's been in years gone past the uh, the Wallabies' defensive bedrock there at thirteen. That's been kind of the one thing you could always count on him for. Um, and certainly, look, whilst they've had some more options in terms of, um, you know, uh, ball runners running some great lines in Simone and Qatar and whatnot who have been uh, taking away some of the signature choo-choo uh, un- unders lines. Um, yeah, his, his defence has always been that bedrock of his game and, uh, and it just, he just hasn't been able to keep it up. So when coming up against... Look, we don't know if we'll be coming up against Bataya um, or... Well, I don't think it matters if he's coming That's up against... Sorry. Pataira or Paisami, um, they have both been absolutely electric. So, <clears throat> yeah, um, defensive liabilities. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, apart from him, then, look, we've got, yeah, Dungunu, who can contain him? Uh, it's going to be, it's probably going to be him up against bloody Muhead, uh, if it's not Qatar. Um, and you all know what I think of Muhead. Um, you love him. Legend. I hope it's Qatar for the Brumby's sake. But, um yeah, so anyway, good luck stopping Dungunu. And um, if Pataya's on the other wing, good luck stopping him. Stopping him. Although that'd be a great battle, um, Tom Wright and Pataya, but um, I've got my money on Pataya there. So. Last time these guys came up against each other, I think Tom Wright, he also missed three of eight tackles. Um, yeah. So again, uh, it, it's tough. Like he's someone who I think has been a relatively solid defender. Harry, Harry doesn't like him as much as I think we do. But he, he got, you know, really outclassed against Reds last time as well. I think I've just got flashbacks of, from literally from the podcast of Harry saying in the last matchup in round 10, uh, Tom Wright solely let in two tries from the Reds. He just Did ran he? up quickly, left the defence out. Shot there. in. And um, yeah. so, yes, he I, won't want to be doing that again. Did we, did we mention the um, how the back line we expect to change if CFS was out? I'm not sure we did. It's, it's rare. We think, don't um, ourselves, but why, why don't you take us Yeah, I mean, we, we skipped over it, but obviously the expectation, as we said in the last game, was that 
Pattaya would be back from his concussion in that place. And uh, CFS, Chris Fawel-Sotia, was in real doubt. If that's the case, I feel like the obvious option here is that Paisami plays outside centre. And then that way, Pattaya can slot in on the wing and it won't really disrupt their training at all. The fact that he has to go through these concussion protocols, maybe in, maybe out. I feel like it's a lot easier for the back line to be settled if you're just dropping a winger in or out. <clears throat> so yeah, look, I, I think that's the... It's pretty that's, scary that's scary to uh, have to have the prospect of having both Paisami and Bataya on the field. Yeah, I, I think Chris Fawai-Sotia adds a whole lot of punch as well. And he's probably a more, you know, rounded player than Paisami. Um, but Paisami is just, you know, a very aggressive runner. Um, so it would be quite scary, I'm sure, against uh, him and Patea linking up together. The other less likely option is that we see Jock Campbell shift to the wing, which we have seen a lot of this season as well, um, with Bryce Hegarty shifting to, to fullback, giving them another kicking option, trying to play a little bit of a smarter game plan, um, you know, against these cool these and, and a cool option in Bryce Hegarty as well. Yeah. yeah, surely though the Brumbies are not the team that you play the kicking option against. Like the Reds are going to want to have a dig and throw the ball around at them, stress their defensive line a little bit, and try and make them uncomfortable. But um, I know my my question was how do the Brumbies win? And I feel like I say it every single week, but the only way I can see it happening is the same way they beat them down in Canberra earlier this year, and that is where the Reds were easily the better team but the Brumbies just stayed in it, kicking their points, and then they scored two rolling mall tries to really cut the gap in half and <clears> eventually <throat> squeeze ahead. And I, I think it's the same this time round, right? Like, if the Reds can't stop the rolling mall, then this game could go either way. If they can, I just think the Reds have way too much firepower. I agree. Thank you, Harry, we were saying just before the pod that uh, Falau for Ingo is definitely due. He's due a try. It's been... Mm. Uh, yeah, if, I, if, I, if I get Lachlan over again to watch this game, I'm telling you, yeah. our finger always scores rolling more tries. That'll be the, the hot tip for this one, yeah. Yeah. No, very good. All right, well, um, I think, yeah, we've touched on it a lot. I think the Reds have all the belief in the world right now um, and kind of uh, just look unstoppable. So uh, I think we're all, all tipping the Reds, but um, by how much... Uh, I won't be as op- optimistic as I usually am. Um, I'll say the Reds... <clears throat> I'm going to go with nine points. Well, Harry? Uh, I've realised that there's no accountability on this vlog podcast. <laughs> so I'm going to go Brumbies because they are the clear mature champion side to win by four points. All right, I'm just going to take some notes now for next week's pod. <laughs> for, uh, Look, I'm going to go with the emotion in this one. And I think the Reds have been building and, and they're, you know, there's so much excitement coming out of these guys. I think the Reds will get it done, but I don't think it'll be a, a big win. I'm going to say Reds by three. Go the Reds. Harry's 100% putting money on the Reds. He's, he's just done that so that he can, he can <clears> try to be I told you so next week if it, if it pays off. Yep. And chances yeah, are... Instead, we get to both him. say, I told you so to him. Yeah, we'll, we'll forget to call, call him up on it probably, but um, not very good. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, that moves us swiftly along to Deserto. What's a gun do with that? Deserto. I forgot exactly what we did last week. I think we went through the All Black squad in a brief. Really, mate. Last last week we did about five desserts in one. That's it. It was it was a good one. It was a big one. It was the bottom of Sunday, if you will. Um. This week, we're just doing the Wallaby squad. It's been announced, so there's no more speculation. And um, I guess we're just going through a couple of the big questions with that squad. So we're not going to read, read off the whole squad. You can look it up. Um, if you listen to this pod, chances are you probably have. And um, yeah, look, the big questions. Who, uh, who, are the big, who are the biggest missing players from this roster for you guys? I mean, re- really, obviously, Nasarani, Dempsey, and Choo Choo. Um, we've discussed Choo Choo. Um, personally, I think it was really frustrating that he is not in there because of the fact that he always plays his best rugby in a gold jersey. And I would almost just pick him for that reason alone. Yeah. I think um, there, there's been a number of really good super uh, test players that don't play their best in super rugby over the years. Nonu is another one that comes to mind for me. So I know that that's, that's a bit disappointing, but what do you think of the other two guys? 
Yeah, look, I think those two really are in some very, very solid form. I'm a huge Dempsey fan um, and have been for a very long period of time. He he showed his worth against the All Blacks. I think it was last season, returning from an injury as well. Uh, I think he's a very, very solid player and is playing some of the best rugby he has played. Nasserani as well. I mean, he has been absolutely on fire in recent weeks for the, the Rebels. Something's... Obviously missing his game uh, for, for Dave Rennie, and I'm not sure where, what it is, whether it is, you know, something to do with the lineouts, off the ball work, getting up off the ground after making contacts and tackles. There's got to be something there. I, I do really think Dave Rennie is, is a smart coach, um, and for some reason, Nasserani doesn't feel that mould. This is his first squad that he's announced. Um, you know, uh, I don't think it's the end of Nasserani in his mid-20s. You know, maybe it's supposed to be a bit of a kick in his ass going, I don't think you do enough off the ball. This is the things you need to improve to work your way back in and, and try to reward a few other guys there that have, you know, shone this year as well. But he's just a massive one to leave out for me. Is it just, is it just Dave Rennie just absolutely pulling the trigger earlier, just going, Harry Wilson from day dot. He's in there, he's starting, <laughs> and he's playing with the Wallabies for the next 25 years. I think so. Yep. He's picked 16 uncapped players in this. I 100% think so. I think he's gone, I am going to build this team for the next two World Cups and they're going to get some chemistry. And the way that happens is by actually having them kept together for a long period of time. And yeah, I, I think so. I think, you know, there were some question marks over Nasserani's fitness at the first half of the season. You look at his work rate. We talked about it last podcast. It's been way, way up. So I can't imagine that that's still the issue. So the only thing that makes sense to me is he's picking a super young side because this is the core of the group that he wants to keep together for the next six, seven years. Nasserani's 25. You've got Pete Samu who's 28 there. So I, I don't know if I can agree 100% with that. I, I do agree in, in theory, but I, I think it must be something to do with that combination of a back row and how he wants to play this match. Because, I mean, yeah, I, I agree that I, I think he's definitely picked a lot of young guys and, and wants to keep the, that core of a group through, you know, the next two World Cups. That's not Pete Summon. Mm. I, I was going to say... Uh... I, I thought before saying this, and I no, I probably still do. We definitely all pick Nazarani over Pete Samu. Was if you had to choose between the two of them to start as your Wallabies number eight? And number eight, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also I just quickly looked up to confirm um, one of the things I liked that Michael Checker did after um, the 2015 World Cup was uh, in signing his contract with Rugby Australia. Um, you know, he was about to walk away as coach because he said, "I'm only going to sign on." if you sign me all the way to the next World Cup. And I think that was a smart thing to do because I'm, I'm not a fan of chopping and changing coaches, you know, every two years or whatnot. And I just looked up Rennie's contract to, to double check and he's signed through to the next World Cup. So Interesting I, think, thing. I think you're bang on in that he might be saying, look, yep, I'm going to start, get all the youngsters. I've got four years and in four years, I can make a hell of a lot <clears> of change. I mean, with the Chiefs, when he came in in 2014 or 2013, he, same thing, had a very kind of green young squad. Um, and he made a hell of a lot of progress in a very short period of time. So, Yeah, look, I think it's similar to what we saw Eddie Jones do with England. You know, he, he kept a few older heads there and put him into sort of leadership roles and just milked everything he could out of them while bringing a lot of young guys in around to try and build that squad and, and create a bit of that um, combinations and, and things with some of those younger guys moving forward. Um, there will be, I mean, if you're picking between Samu and Nasserani in terms of someone who's going to bring you a bit of leadership, surely you do look towards someone like Samu. Um, he's got a bit more versatility as well. A lot of experience in, in terms of playing over with Crusaders, playing overseas, uh, and, and probably a, a whole lot more level-headed. Um, but yeah, I mean, when Nasserani's 25, you're talking two Worlds Cups, he'd be probably 32 years old. You know, he's, he's definitely not someone who couldn't be playing in the next two World Cups for the Wallabies. So uh, it's still an interesting pick. I think someone we've also left out a little bit, um, maybe not to the, the depth of these guys in terms of being left out, but um, Jock Campbell has been so brilliant in the back end of the season. He was in that last um, Wallabies pony squad, um, left out of this one. Interesting as well, because I think he's been so good. Hey, um, I'm going to push on and still Kagi's question here. 
Good. Does Tupo start over Alan Ala Alatoa? Well, it's it's interesting. For mine, he doesn't. And you know how much I love Daniel Tupo and how much we've discussed that he is an 80-minute player. He's not an impact player off the bench, but he's still one hell of an impact player off the bench. Um, and Alan Alatoa, for mine, is... Uh, it's hard to say this, but Alan Alatoa is just a more composed test player than Taniel Tupo. There's no doubt about that. Is Taniel Tupo a superior scrummager? Yes. Uh, is Taniel Tupo superior with ball on hand and in open space? Yes. Uh, does Alan Alatoa probably more make more tackles? Um, Definitely. Is Taniel Tupo a much larger liability in terms of penalties and cards? Yes. Hmm. You know, is he more prone to shooting out of line and, and potentially creating gaps? that other teams can exploit, especially when you're talking about teams like the All Blacks. Yes, you know, they, they both offer for very different things, um, but one of them is a, a guy that will, will come off the bench and, you know, potentially get you to win and close out a match. And, and one of the guys is someone, you know, you, you want to be starting that match and, and grinding that match out. I, I think I, I wouldn't be overly surprised in the next year or two if we see Taniela Tupo a starter, but I think he has a lot of things he needs to work on and improve on um, before he can jump Alan Alatoa, who's, who's got such good lead, leadership skills and, and a lot else around him and is not a, not a player that makes many mistakes. Alan, uh, Taniela Tupa, man, he's the 2022 World Player of the Year. I'm not, I don't doubt it. You heard it here first, 2022. Yeah. You got to tell Lachlan that. Can we put money on that now? I wish I could. <laughs> yeah. Um, for sure, but no. Anyway, so there you go. See, I can be I can be partial. I'm not always just don't have my Tupo coloured glasses on. But um, no, I think um, I, I still want to see Tupo off the bench. I think we spoke about it before, but like the box, the bomb squad, mate. Imagine bringing him on just to lift in the last twenty minutes. With been... Angus Bell on the bench as well. Oh, huge. Can't, um, you, you can't be partial, mate. You were just saying how Jake Gordon should be the starting Wallabies nine. You, you just free pot, you mate. Free so pot. much, mate. Yeah. Look, I don't know what you're talking about, but um, if I did say that, uh, those were my Waratahs rosy coloured glasses on. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, anyway, let's... Can we know, talk second row? Oh, that's, that's why I was going to move us along to second row. I think um, the, it's a 40... He's named a 44-man squad, uh, and the squad sizes, you're allowed to name a 46-man squad. So he's left two slots <clears> open for what very much looks like the Rory Arnold clause... Um, if you will, or for t- available for two players. Um, if we take out um, the Joker selections, you know, like the Joker selections of Ned Hannigan and Rob Simmons, um, then it, you know it very, it's very clear that one of these two uh, overseas slots, if you will, are, are, is going to be a lock. And I think um, we put it down very simply to uh, if you want to bring someone back to mentor the young locks in the Wallabies squad, you'd look to someone like Rory Arnold, who um, was really good. I think often uh, overlooked in terms of, uh, yeah, just how good he was. Um, but otherwise, I mean, if you bring someone back to try and win the games, there's no one better than Will Skelton to bring back. Um, God, we've talked about how much we would have loved him at the last World Cup. But um, somehow I don't see them doing that. So I think they'll be looking for someone like a, a Will Skelton. I don't think they'll be looking for Isaac Rodder. I think he's well and truly severed his ties. Um, oh, look. I don't know entirely if I agree. I think the one everyone is backing here is probably Rory Arnold with his experience. Um, Coleman is injured, so I don't think we'll be seeing him coming back. Um, We'd love to see Skelton come back. He, again, proved that he is happy playing overseas and he doesn't seem to have that huge desire to come back to, to play in Australia. Would I be pushing to try and get Skelton back in Australia? Sure. Would I be giving him a, a, a chance to play for us? I don't think I would, to be 100% honest. I, I'd want to be building my culture. Um, he's proven again and again that he is happy being overseas, although he's a brilliant player. Someone like Isaac Rodder, it, it's a pretty unique circumstance. He's got a one-year contract overseas. He'd be someone that if you get back into this system that he, we could find him there long-term. He hasn't proven again and again he's happy to take that money overseas. I, I don't think we know everything behind it, but it, it will be interesting to see who, who they, they fill these two spots with. 
I um I think Isaac Rose a really really good point. I think we do know everything about it. You know, to be honest, I think he got offered a big pay cut and he said no, I want more than that. And then went and lined his pockets for a year in, in uh, powers in over in French in France. That's not but, what it sounded like. He said he wanted to stay in Australian rugby and wanted to play at a different club. Yeah, sure. Um, sure he did. And that was just after all the news broke about why he was actually leaving. But look, whatever you want to say to save face, you know, I, w- I would do the same thing if I was him. But I, I actually think you're dead right. Dave Rennie came out and said he wants to use these spots to try and motivate players, to give them a taste of the Wallaby squad, to bring them back. And Roddy probably is the obvious one, else. I think that's a good call. I think yeah. you swayed me. Um, and look, the other thing I thought was, was um, pertinent in this... Uh, conversation was that Simmons is obviously going overseas. Ted Flanagan's form is uh, non-existent. Say a hallelujah. Can I get a hallelujah? Or is that? No, nah, look, I stand by the best year I can remember him having in many years. So oh, I, I think, uh, I think he's given us a lot and you're a hard man, Kagi. I've ragged on him enough in my lifetime. Um, I haven't yet. He's rubbish. Look, these two extra players coming back across, they can't join the squad until the actual international window, which is the start of November. So whether there's one or two Bledisloe Cups over in New Zealand, they're not going to be picked for that time. So I think you're right in that Rob Simmons and Ted Flanagan are probably there to make sure that there is four locks that they can have on the field at all times or on their 23 at all times. And then you'll probably say goodbye to both of them after that. Why the fuck is it Hannigan? You could be bringing guys like Blythe in, um, you know, you, you could be giving um, uh, Matt Phillip that that taste of, of what it's like in the Wallabies because he might only be gone for a year. Yet you're giving it to someone like Honey. I can understand Simmons. You know, he has experience. He's got leadership role in, in terms of that line out. But I honestly, I cannot find a, a single reason other than sure he's played a couple of okay matches. I, I just, I honestly don't understand Hannigan being there. The obvious reason is that he plays six as well. So they they decided they wanted someone with a bit of versatility. But I agree. I do I do he agree. He sucks not... at six and he sucks at lock. Like Man, I'm not gonna you argue could throw you. you could throw him in at ten and he'd suck there too. Like just because he's played there a couple of times means nothing to me. All right. So moving on. I think we all agree, despite McWright's awesome form, that uh, Michael Hooper will start at seven. Uh, I wouldn't say definitely, Elton, are Captain. You, are you sure about that as well? Just checking. Yes, okay, okay good. Yeah. Good. Uh, six and eight, guys. We've got a few different people here. Swinton, Samu, Bellatini, uh, Harry Wilson, and uh, bracketed Ted Flanagan. But let's be honest, he's not part of the conversation. Who are you <clears throat> starting in your back row and who's on the bench? Look, for me, I, I think... If we're looking at the, those five names there um, to be surrounding... Let's be uh, honest, Michael, we've got four, four names. Sorry, those four names and Hannigan um, to, to be <laughs> filling those roles around Hooper. Uh, myself, I'd probably be picking Samu and, and Wilson. Um, I can see easily Samu and Valentini filling those roles as well, but... Um, it's those three. Swinton, if, if you bring Swinton on, we touched on him last week. He's got a very, you know, definitive role of go out there and just try to kill someone. Don't worry about your future, mate. Just try and break someone's legs. Um, and, and I don't think that's the first match, you know, that you bring him out to, to do something. that's He's going to add that steal if we really need it in a later match. But uh, Wilson, Samu, Valtini are those three three guys to fill the those three spots that the two starters in the bench, Valentini and Samu, both can cover, you know, six, seven, potentially eight as well. Wilson doesn't cover as much. Um, he's very young and, and that rawness maybe does seem on the bench, but he really does, doesn't cover too much else other than eight in terms of what we've seen from him. Um, if you had someone like Valentini on the bench, I think you do have a little bit more versatility. Um, but I suppose Valentini is, is a little bit more experienced too. So, It'll be interesting to see. Liam Wright, guys, is the other one. I, I don't want to. I don't want to miss him out. Sorry. Uh, obviously, he plays a lot of seven, but could be blindside as well. Yeah, yeah. How's your specialty? Is he tall enough to play six at international level? I think he's. I, I think he's been. He's been an absolute gun in the line out for the Reds. Not not that the Reds line has been particularly good, but um, he he really can get up there, and he's. Uh, I think that's going to be a huge benefit for him in the squad. Uh, you know, he might find himself 
on the bench because he can come on and just play that six or seven role. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that, that also maybe adds to him being that bench role, definitely. Um, just being able to, to cover those sort of positions. He's six foot three. Um, he is big for an open side, but he's definitely not big for a, a blind side. But he's been doing very well in, in the line out as well. I think it would be uh, a pretty tough call if the Reds went on and won Super Rugby AU if their captain couldn't make the 23 for the Wallabies as well, right? Yeah. And I've still got some question marks over <laughs> Valentini. I feel like it's probably between him <clears throat> and Liam Wright for that bench spot. And I don't know that Valentini is quite test ready yet. Very true. Uh, look, I, Valentini, I, I do think he would stand up in, in the face of, you know, tough competition, uh, competition. I, I don't think he'd shy away from it at all. And maybe maybe what he needs is to be thrown, you know, against some of these tougher, you know, tougher sides like the, the All Blacks, Springboks and things. I, I don't think that would be a, a negative necessarily for his development. Um, but, yeah, Liam Wright's done a lot, you know, a lot of, of right things throughout the last year or two and, and his leadership skills is good as well. Mm. I just had a quick look as well. Did we not say uh, Matt, Matt Phillip was named in the um, in the squad for the for the locks? Was he? Yeah. Sorry, I thought I thought he was as well. So, um, which is good. Another reason to uh, that hopefully Rob Simmons and Ted Flanagan are just there for to be the um, competing team lineout really for training. You know what I mean? Um, well, Ned, Ned Flanagan is not getting any game time. Why is he there? Then? <laughs> carry the water. Makes no he's, he's a country boy. He knows how to run around. Uh, you know the paddock so he can just run around maybe maybe he's there at training for people to try to hurt because people just don't like his head well that's actually one of the things i was going to say with Lockie swinton selection is i wonder if he trains like he plays because remember, <laughs> remember the waratahs and having jacques potkita in there just absolutely annihilating everyone i yep. hope swinton's there just to keep everyone on their toes and um and hard and toughen up a little bit so um but anyway uh we'll move on i think look the last the, sorry actually the last i'll just throw it out there for some fun and because we'll enjoy it uh, if we if we could choose anyone for those two overseas slash bench slots, um, I mean I would be picking Samu Karevi and Sean McMahon to come back. But uh, whilst we're on back here, whilst we're on back row, as I was going to say, Sean McMahon. I mean, how good would he be to come back in? Look, uh, I every single year before now, I would almost rush McMahon straight back into the starting side. Uh, he's still remember. he's still young enough. That I'd definitely be bringing him into to, into the twenty three. Um, th- there's a good. I started at six straight up. There's a good lot of talent coming through. I probably would start him at six. Now that we're talking about it, but um, I- I'd love to see him if he did come back to have to earn it. You know, what I mean, he's he's left Australia. He's had opportunities come back and hasn't taken them. I would really like to see that culture build around, mate. You still have to earn it, no matter how good you are, and not just rush straight back into the starting side. Mate, he's the white Jerry Collins. He's the Terminator. It's the closest we'll we'll ever get. He's an absolute fucking machine. I think the one thing that we're that you know often gets forgotten is that the rumor was that he left because his two hips are both absolutely rooted, and that uh, he doesn't think he's got that long left in rugby. So as young as he is, I think he's playing career maybe on a little bit more than his actual <clears throat> birth. Um, my worry is that you bring him back, you get a year or two out of him, and then you just hamstring the development of guys like Harry Wilson, Liam Wright, etc. Yeah, Harry, just like how Mitch Short played um, without an ACL, don't you know that when you put on the gold jersey, you don't need, um, you don't have any ailments, you don't have any hip problems or anything. That's just... Um, Mitch Short will never put on the gold jersey, mate. Don't say shit like that. I'm not saying Mitch Short's put on the gold jersey. Remember when he played for the Tars and he had no ACL? It was a, I do remember. They were like, he did his ACL. Oh, he's playing next week. Um, yeah, it was pretty a, amazing. Good one. Hey, um, you, you mentioned Karevi as well, and I think that's a really interesting conversation around the 12 jersey. And to be honest, I didn't think there was any chance that they would bring him back personally no, until no. today. Until nope. I heard that Matt Tamua's groin injury could be quite serious. And then, you know, who, who you put in the uh, Wallabies 12 jersey. To me, the obvious option is you push James O'Connor to 10, to 12. You have Nick White at nine, and that gives you the opportunity to groom one of your young 10s, be that uh, Will Harrison or Noah Lalesio. But I think you're, you're right. The other option is clearly either Ira Simone or you bring back Karevi and put him at 12 and just play Jock at 10. When's the last time Karevi played a game of rugby, mate? He's been in Australia throughout this whole process. 
been a very long time. No. World Cup. He, he did. He did get, he's been playing for Japan since. Sorry, in Japan. Since Japan's back up and running, isn't it? Japan. It, it, he is. I think he, he's probably head. He's probably head back there now. But um, so mate, he's he, played, he, his last game was in February the fifteenth. He was absolutely carving. I mean, I know it's a Japanese top league, but he was playing Sunstory Sun Goliath with Sean McMahon and was absolutely annihilating. It would have been eight months by the time we start playing the All Blacks. Eight months since he's mate, played a match of rugby. I don't care. He's one of the best centres in the world. He's probably top three centres in the world. Yeah. He doesn't have the versatility to put him in the top three centres in the world. He's bloody good. But I'm that's a big call. Top three is just because I'm being polite. I'm happy to just go. He's the best center in the world, but um, he's mate, not even close. But he's the best. He's so good. Mate, I'd start semi Rodrigo over him any day. I'll take Sam McGrevy. So, well, there we go. That's and that's why I beat you at fantasy every year. So, um, no, moving on. Uh, yes, the centers will be an interesting one. Um, and I guess look, we've covered a lot of uh, who has missed out. But is there anyone else that kind of really sticks out like a sore thumb that is missed out in this squad. Um, you know, the <clears throat> I'm putting this is on YouTube. Maddox in the squad he is, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, surely he's got to be, right? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't remember seeing his name. Um, yeah, I think so. I'm searching now. He is, yes. Yeah. Sure. And he, it's I think... Four man squad. Oh, I guess, look, I guess we'll talk about... Look, it's been very highly talked about. Um, Lenny Ikatao. What a bolter. That's got to be the bolter of the, the pick yeah, nah. class of 2020. Look, I'd say he's not a bolter. He's not going to get that game time. He's there as a development player, mm-hmm. uh, which they've, they've tended to do on, in a lot of their tours and things in recent years to, to see if they can build him. They've got, they've got the ability to take him um, into this squad thinking that he, he could build for the future. But he's very young and he is not going to be thrown in the deep end in the rugby championships. Maybe if it's Australia, something along those lines, but I think he's there purely for development. I know. I just like to, I'd like to think that generally, you know, we're in the know. Um, and I just didn't see this one coming. So is there something that uh, we don't know about Ikatao? Is he more of a prodigious talent than um, we are aware of? I mean, he's had about three or four games for the Brumbies in which he's come off. Yeah, we, we've watched him in the NRC where he's actually been really solid, something you don't watch. Uh, I think he, he's a very talented young player. There's been a fair bit of talk about him for a few years coming through at that level and, and not necessarily had the opportunities for the Brumbies as of yet. I think he has looked decent since he's had those, those small opportunities. Uh, and he may well be a, you know, a player of the future, but he's, he's not someone that I think you're going to rush into you know, Wallaby's contention off the back of those couple matches, I think he's here for development. For sure. You've got, look- you got to think, like, awesome for him to get a run, but you'd actually be picking him as a smoky above the other Smokies. Like, Tyre and Paisami are the other young outside centres that are potential world beaters. So to pick him above those guys <clears throat> in potential just seems crazy to me. It does. And speaking of players that uh, Harry's very happy about, he has... Rammed on about him all year. James Ram has uh, made the spot. <laughs> oh, he's good. Um, he's good. He, um, no, look, we all think he's fantastic. Harry praises him to the high heavens. But I think, yeah, he's a perfect type of player for the development squad. I don't think we'll see him. Um, I mean, look, I think, you know, a couple of injuries away, possibly from, from being on, on the wing, on one of the wings. But um, it's great that he's in the squad, I think. Look, boys, I have one question for, for both of you. Mm-hmm. If you could kick one player out of the squad and replace him with someone else... Who would those players be? It's really tough. It's obviously between I'm, Ned Hannigan and Rob Simmons. Yeah, I'm going to kick out Ned Hannigan. Um, who are you bringing in? I haven't thought about that yet. I was just so... I would bring in Angus Blythe or Nick Frost. Easily done. Look, I'm kicking out Hannigan and I'm bringing in Fergus Lee Warner. Feels a similar role. Lock, blindside. Um, I think he's earned it a whole lot more. Blythe's still got time to develop into that role. I'd be love, loving to see someone like that in there. I'd be bringing in Maserani. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if I can bring like obviously I can I I can't choose. I'm kicking both out Ted Flanagan and Rob Simmons. There's no. no there's I said one. Go. No, they're both going to go. Don't care. I said one. <laughs> Even if we only bring one player back in, they're both going. That's the um. That's my <laughs> my route. That's but, fair. No, very good. All right. Well, um, yeah. So the the rugby championship. Uh, I think I just saw before we started the pod another 
headline about, you know, Australia can't, um, what's the bloody, you know, have, have our cake and eat it too. Um, <clears throat> uh, Rob them of the rugby championship playing um, five, five games in Australia, I think. Is it six games? Five, five games in New South Wales and one in Queensland. Um, for the rugby yeah, I, I, I hate the the tone of that. Really, you, you're robbing it of them. You know, one one country had to get it. Sure, New Zealand can say they were robbed all they really want, but we've just got a better setup for teams to come into Australia, be able to train together. We're already talking about Australia going over to New Zealand for the Bledders lows, uh, and New Zealand aren't really working with Australia in, in terms of that either. I don't expect, you know, necessarily them to change their laws around isolation and, and those sorts of things. Mind you, I don't think it's tough to, you know, get the players to train in Australia for two weeks and then bring them over to a, a hotel set up somewhere that's got a rugby field and, and a gym and, and isolate them there together as a squad. But basically what the Aussies have to do is go over there, self-isolate for two weeks not be able to train and that's then true. no that's not true that it's is four true. days no it's Seven four days. days no they right now they're asking them to isolate for four days and then they can start training together in in bigger and bigger groups until they would then be out of be, be in a position to train as a, as a full squad for six days yeah but they're six not in days. isolation for two weeks no okay still sorry my, my mistake but six days as a team for oh, yeah. a blood is low I don't actually think this has anything to do at all from the Wallabies' perspective with any of this kind of stuff. I think it's Dave Rennie's genius straight off the bat. You have four Bledisloe Cup games against the All Blacks. You need to win three of them. Two two games in a row to start would be against New Zealand in New Zealand. Your chances of winning Bledisloe in your first year as coach are zero. If you only have one game in New Zealand, then you get the return fixtures as a battle-hardened team in the back half of the rugby championship, both in Australia to try and win that game. Genius. It's a masterstroke, sure. Oh, look, I, I think that that's probably shaping up as the, the most likely proposal here, or most likely thing we'll see. Um, there's been three proposals that have been released today from Rugby Australia. I don't know if you guys have seen it for the, the way of solving this. I have not. Just give us the Bledisloe Cup. So, you know, so the first option is that you push the first Bledisloe test back to October the 17th rather than the October the 10th and have the second game played on the 24th. The other is to host New Zealand for both of those matches in Australia and share the profits 50 50 uh, from, from those matches. I like that. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I like that as well. I don't like to make jest of, uh, you know, the coronavirus health implications and everything. But, um, I mean, if New Zealand is so hell-bent on isolation, um, we can show them some real isolation and just, uh, just cut off the country altogether, mate. We'll show them just how much they need us, really. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, but, uh, well, you're, you're going to send all of them back home as well? That's it. That's it. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, no, we do need some rugby players for the future. Yeah, okay, well, sorry, we'll keep the rugby um, playing here. Let's just, you know, <laughs> calm it down. Um, yeah. yeah. Especially after this week, my team still needs to win the final and we're 90% carry. But the, the third option is to play just one Bledisloe test in New Zealand on October the 17th. So you're effectively cancelling that first uh, and then have the other two matches played over the rugby championship in Australia. So exactly what Harry was alluding to. You have one game in New Zealand, you have the rugby champs and two more in Australia. I honestly think that we're probably going to see that as That's our most likely option, unless New Zealand's willing to change things. That's what Rennie is praying for every morning. You're spot on, Harry. But um, no, I think, uh, look, the Kiwis, let's be honest, um, they know that they're going to win the Bledisloe this year. And surely, you know, they want, they want a better game. Surely they want to give us a little bit more time. I mean... Um, it does not sound like it. It doesn't, no, really. But what extra prep as it is and we're the team redoing our entire structures, we all know that they're not going to change anything from last year. And nor do they need to. Um, well, I don't they know do if you watch that North versus South game. But, um, I think that both the North and the South team would beat the Wallabies, unfortunately. Um, don't know. What do you guys think? But probably, yeah? No. Nah. That's it. I like nah. it. Positive. Faith in Australia, mate. Um. Very good. So, yeah, anyway, it'll be interesting. But, um, look, I guess we're blessed. Uh, not that we have... Even though we've had all of this rugby in New South Wales um, with the Force and Rebels having all their home games here, 
it's not exactly like we've actually got out to that many of them. Um, but I think with five games, uh, test matches in New South Wales, I think we'll certainly get out to a couple of those, which will be good. Um, yeah, for sure. So pretty pumped for that. There's nothing better than an All Blacks test. Um, and I think they'll all be double headers. So I think they'll all be have the uh, Wallaroos and the, I don't know what the Kiwis female team is called. The Black Ferns? Yes. The Black Ferns. Oh, mate. <laughs> Huge. Um, no, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nelson's like Um but no, I think that'll be good. So um, very much looking forward to that. Uh, and yeah, just very much looking forward to seeing what Dave Rennie is about. Um, you know, I mean, I think either way in the first game, uh, by then we'll know a lot more uh, about what his plans are and what he's going to do. Um, and I'm excited, you know, it's a new era. Um, and how much did we love the Chiefs back in Dave Rennie, the Dave Rennie era? That was, that was a hell of a team we to watch. And I think... I think we talked about, it was probably a while ago, but we talked about how with the Australian attacking style of rugby, and I know with Checker we went to maybe a attacking uh, at, at all odds against all ends, um, but Rennie seems like the kind of guy with the creative and attacking mindsets that will complement the way we want to play. So, um, Yeah, I think he's going to build rather than reset. You know, I, I think we had an attacking mindset I think he'll, he'll add a lot more clarity on, on how we want to do that and give us, you know, uh, a lot more plan, plans B, C, D, right through to whatever it may be, um, whereas Checker only had, had one plan. Fantastic. All right. Well, if there is no further business, um, we have concluded our three-course uh, podcast for the evening. But, um, look, we said last week we might have might be getting uh, Christian Nabung, the OG League 2020 winner. Um, on the pod. Uh, we were a little bit sloppy in organising it this week, but um, have confirmed next week we'll have him on to uh, take you through the Super Rugby AU final. Uh, let him have his time in the sun, his victory lap, uh, the better neighbour, getting him on the pod. The first champion neighbour in the draft. The first and only champion in the neighbour family, um, please. Uh, yeah, so stay tuned for that. Um, and uh yeah we'll we'll catch you on the next one see ya see ya